So this morning we're going to be going through, I'm going to be uh, doing the scripture reading. Uh, Today we're going to be in Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 24. I'm reading out of the ESV this morning, and the title is The New Life. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to every practice, uh, sorry, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn in Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt and deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Paul. My name is also Paul. Uh, we're going to be reading a letter from Paul. Uh, so if you're, if you're catching on, we're all about Paul's here. It's so hot right now. <laughs> yeah, like, like Paul just read, we're going to be continuing on our, our series in Ephesians. We're in chapter 4 today. Uh, if you're new with us, we're walking through the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. And uh, we practice expository preaching here. We take books of the Bible and we lo- like to walk through them verse by verse, get the full counsel of God. Uh, and, we're, and we're kind of on the back half of Ephesians today. And, and really the way, if, if you know anything about the way Paul writes his letters, he, he tends to write the first half of the letter as a reminder of, of the goodness of God and the, the beauty of the gospel uh, and what Jesus has done for us and our identity. And then the back half of his letters, he tends to kind of tell us how this works itself out in practical Christian living. So that's kind of where we are today. And if you uh, caught what Paul just read, um, it, it's not a real cheery passage. It's kind of a reminder of how bad we really are. Uh, I'm going to kind of take this into two parts. Uh, the first, first part, we're going to kind of stick at uh, chapter uh, 4, verse 17 through 19. Uh, Like I said, it's a real cheery, I like to call it a space maker. It's one of those that you'll find a little more seats here next week if you show up. Uh, But it's really kind of a refrain of of what he has already talked about in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. He said, um, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. So Paul's giving us a reminder of what uh, this Christian life should not look like for us, kind of a reminder of, of that. He says, uh, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So you got to remember Paul's writing to kind of a mixed group of people of Jews and Gentiles at this church. And and the, the Jews knew that they, throughout Old Testament Scripture, that they were God's chosen people. And so when he, when he uses the word uh, Gentiles here, he's really just referring to those outside the household of faith. He's not saying those of you who are non-Jews only, but he's basically meaning those of you who aren't in Christ when he says, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. He said, I need to remind you how bad you really are, uh, just in case you forgot over the last couple of chapters. And so for, for like the, the people reading it's been like five minutes since they last read, their, read that. And they're like, Paul, you're kind of bringing this up again. I feel like we just talked about this. We get it. We know we're bad. But clearly, Paul's trying to make a point here. Uh, does, that, does that remind you? Do you know anyone that likes to bring up stuff that you've done in the past that's kind of dumb? Or, yeah. 
Husbands are like nudging their wives right now. I don't recommend that. That'll probably get brought up later. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> why, does, why do you think Paul does this? Why, why is he doing this? I think it's because he, um, he, he knows that we don't like to own up to how bad we really are. Um, we we all, often talk here that we say we preach the gospel every week because we forget the gospel every week. And I think the same is true for the opposite of that that we often forget how bad we really are. Uh, we often forget how much we really need the gospel. And I think that's a, cha- a danger that we, we deal with here in the South, um, that we, we kind of think of ourselves as good people. and We don't realize how far from God we actually are. And therefore, we don't necessarily see how big the gospel is and how huge and how amazing this work is on our behalf because we sometimes forget that our need is so great for the gospel. We actually think we're doing pretty good um, if the gospel doesn't blow your mind, it's probably because we're kind of veering into this, I don't really need it that much. I think that's also why we often kind of veer off into prayerlessness. We often tend to compare ourselves to other people and think that we're doing pretty good because we're doing better than that person. We're not really seeing the, the goodness of God and comparing ourselves to him. We compare ourselves to other people. We do more good stuff than bad stuff. The scales, I think, are going to tip in our favor. Unfortunately, that's not the way God uh, deals with sin and unholiness. In fact, I would say in the South, there's a danger that we might even have such a bad understanding of, of Scripture and theology that we see our comforts as maybe a favor from God. Like maybe we're doing everything right because my life is comfortable, because I'm not sick. Um, because I'm, I'm healthy or I have stuff and I'm, I'm comfortable like that. Uh, Matt Chandler get, talks about this some. Uh, Matt's a, he's a pastor in Texas and the, the president of Acts 29 that we belong to. Uh, he says that he fears that this is actually the passive wrath of God in our lives. We don't like to think of good things as the wrath of God. But uh, if you know Romans 1, 21 uh, through 26, this is what Paul says to the church at Rome. He says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the tr- truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. I'm going to say that again. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Did you catch the wrath in there? It's, it's kind of subtle. He's not striking anybody down. For you KJV people, he didn't smite anyone. Uh, he's not making them sick uh, or, or kill them. It says, therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts. He basically said, if that's what you want, I'm going to let you have it. I'm going to let you have what you think you want, uh, and then you just let me know how that works out for you. Uh, To me, that's kind of a little bit terrifying, because there's no real warning there. Like, we veer off into comfort, and we think God must be, he, he must be okay with what I'm doing, because I'm comfortable. Jesus gives some warning um, about this, Uh, and, and this warning is to to just keep us from easing into separation from God, because that's what we tend to do. Matthew 7, 21-23, Jesus warns us of this very thing. He says, Many of you will come to me on the very last day and say, I went to church, I did good things, I was a good person. And, and Jesus will say, Depart from me, I never knew you. 
That's one of the most terrifying passages in Scripture, if you ask me. That is how the Gentiles were living that Paul's talking about here. That's what the unbelievers were doing, and that's what he's warning us about today. See, aren't you glad you come? You came today? Real space maker. So Paul describes this, this situation in one word, futility. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. The Oxford Dictionary uh, defines futility as pointlessness or uselessness. You live in the South, so I, I kind of think of it as like trying to wash your car in the spring during the, the pollening, you know, you wash it, you walk out an hour later, it's green again. Um, for us chubby guys, it's like sneaking the cookie out of the glass cookie jar and hoping no one's going to hear you. It's futile. They're going to hear you. The other tra- some other translations use the word vanity uh, instead of futility. Where in the Bible have you heard that word before, vanity? Yeah, Ecclesiastes, that's right. Ecclesiastes is a great description of what life without God is like. Go, go and read it some, sometime and you'll see the word vanity in there. Uh, throughout there. The smartest, richest person that ever lived was Solomon, who wrote Ecclesiastes. And he's trying to live life without God, and he just says it's, it's vanity, it's pointless. Trying to do life without God is vanity, and it's pointless. And Paul knows this, and he's reminding us through the, in this passage of how bad our condition is apart from Christ. John Piper talks about this passage, passage of Scripture, and he says that we are sick. We have a disease. It's like a cancer is the way he describes it. And so in this section of Scripture, Paul lays out what I call six symptoms of our disease. The first one is darkness. Verse 18, it says, they are darkened in their understanding. What he's saying is we have a deep darkness within us. Uh, and we, ju- we don't just have dark attributes. We don't just do dark things. But in, in Ephesians 5.8, Paul says, we are darkness. I mean, that's, that's pretty harsh language, but the sin doesn't just affect who we are. It affects, or it doesn't just affect what we do. I'm sorry. It affects who we are. It is who we are. We are darkness. And what he's saying is that apart from God, we always run from the light. We'll never choose the light apart from God. The next symptom, he says, is a deep ignorance. He says in verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. You might be thinking, well, I know a lot of things, and you might have a superficial understanding of millions of things. You might be able to watch Jeopardy and just smoke some fools on there. You know all of this stuff. But until we know the ultimate why, Paul says we are deeply ignorant. Why does everything exist? Why does it, what is the purpose of everything? Let me ask you that today, church. I mean, that, I know that's a very existential question. Why does everything exist? What is the purpose? What is our purpose? But just think for that for a minute. Why does everything exist around us? What is its purpose? Glory, that's a, that's a great answer. And that's not wrong. That's not a wrong answer. But I think very specifically that is addressed in Scripture that it all exists for Christ. Simply it exists for Jesus. Yes, to glorify God. You're, you're 100% right there. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, speaking of Christ, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or th- authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. All things were created for Christ. And He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. You hear that? 
everything that exists, not just that we can see, but things we can't see, the entire universe exists by him and for him. And he holds everything together, the word of his voice. Literally holds molecules together, the tiniest molecules you can think of, and these giant spinning galaxies. He holds them together. And until God reveals this to us, we are deeply ignorant. That's what Paul says. It doesn't have to do with knowledge or facts, but why we exist, why things exist. It's for Christ. Paul goes on to say that our darkness and ignorance is due to hardness. Verse 18 says this, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Perhaps this is the most severe symptom that, that Paul discusses here. The deepness and the, the darkness and the ignorance are caused by our hardness. Apart from the sovereign work of Christ in our lives, our hearts are hard to the things of God. That means I don't care about anything that has to do with God. Nothing that has to do with God. It doesn't interest me. It doesn't move me. I don't feel any emotion to these things. I am hard to the things of God. And this is not an innocent hardness like I just don't know about them. This is a fully blameworthy hardness, um, fully deserving of the wrath of God. And this hardness causes us, it causes our darkness and it causes our ignorance. These are, these are problems with who we are. Like this is darkness and hardness is... Uh, it's who we are. And those results in these next symptoms that I'd like to say are the things that we do. So this, cause, this is who we are, and these cause us to do these things. The first one that, he, that Paul mentions is uh, sensuality. Or another way to say it is licentiousness. Some of the other translations call it licentiousness. Chapter, uh, uh, verse 19, it says, They have become callous and given, the, given themselves up to, to sensuality. Some other words used here in different translations are lewdness, indecent behavior, lustful pleasure, licentiousness. Those with hard hearts will chase after pleasures and joys wherever they think they can find them. And the sense here is, is a gratification of the body. Um, and it, it's, I, if, if you're like me, it's not hard for me to imagine that in our culture today. It, we live in a very much, if it feels good, do it culture. It must be good for you if it's something that you seem to enjoy, um, especially when it comes to physical pleasures. And then now in this culture, who are you to tell me what I can't do with my body? It feels good. I like it. I'm going to enjoy doing it. And it doesn't necessarily have to be something evil in this, in, in this situation. It can be something, physical appearance or success or food or drink that aren't necessarily bad things, but when they become our ultimate things, when they become our gods, is when they fall into this sinful, um, this sinful area called licentiousness. And I would say it's when we move past moderation into excess, we really veer into licentiousness. And living a life of licentiousness naturally leads us into this next symptom, which Paul calls impurity, or what I like to call uncleanness. They have, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed to practice every kind of impurity. Our hardness and our darkness and our licentiousness leads us to do the things that God considers unclean or unholy or impure. Listen, Apart from the grace of God in our lives, our dark hearts will naturally gravitate to those things that are evil. And all of these things 
lead us to the, the last uh, symptom, which is back up in our passage a little ways, but we are alienated from the life of God. In, in verse 18, it says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. This disease that we have, this cancer, has left us cut off from God. And we can't work ourselves back into right standing with God. We are cut off from the very thing that we need, which is the life of God. Y'all with like remote starts in your car, like start your car, like, all right, I'm going to run to the bathroom, meet me at the car, we're getting out of here. Now, what do we do? I mean, it really does seem kind of hopeless. What do we do? You know the answer, especially you people who have been coming here a while, we know the answer to this. Um, First off, without the power of the Spirit, there is nothing we can do. We can try. What did he say? It's futile. It's futility. Uh, You can go back and read Ecclesiastes and see Solomon trying to do it on his own. It's futile. But without the power of the Spirit, we can't do it on our own. If we think we can do it on our own, it'll lead us to be prideful, or we'll fail at it, and it'll lead us to despair. Fortunately, Paul doesn't leave us to just figure it out on our own here. He gives us that great three-letter word, again, that we had a couple chapters back. But. In this situation, he says, but, and he with an exclamation part, uh, mark, says, that is not the way you learn Christ. This is not what you have been taught, Christian. This is not you, Christians. This is contrary to everything you've been taught. This is contrary to everything that I've been talking about up to this point. That is not you, Christian. So let me pause for a second and, and just ask you, maybe uh, this is a good time to take some reflection, some self-reflection. Do you find yourself caught in a life of licentiousness and uncleanness? doing things that you know are contrary to what Christ has for you. Stuck in the muck, wallowing around with the swine. If you know the prodigal son story, when he runs off, he finds himself literally eating with the pigs. Maybe the Spirit has brought you here today uh, to hear Paul's rebuke, the rebuke of the Pauls. That is not the way you learn Christ, is what he says. He says, you know better than that, Christian. There's a better life for you. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. He says, you've heard about him. Uh, Some of the other, and I think the ESV kind of misses it on this one, on this translation. Other translations I think are better. They say, you have heard him. You have heard Christ. Those of you who have heard Christ, you know the way because you have heard the Spirit of God. You have heard the voice of Christ. If you're a Christian, you have heard, he's called you. You have heard the voice of Christ. Of course, the people reading this have heard of Christ, but he's really saying, have you heard him? Those of you who have been called by the saving Spirit of God that drew you into himself, he's reminding them, you have heard the life-saving voice of Christ. Just like Jesus said in John 10, my sheep hear my voice. And, they, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. He calls them. This is not just a, hey, this is an effectual calling where our souls are drawn to him. He has called you, Christian. He has rescued you. Remember your old self that was deceitful and corrupt through these deceitful desires. That was your former life. But you have learned Christ So now what? What do, we, what do we do with this? I, all right, I hear what you're saying, Paul, but how do I, how do I handle this, uh, this calling? 
How do we put off our old self? He gives us the answer. Put on the new self. Seems pretty straightforward. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. You put on the new self by being renewed in the spirit of your minds. What does it mean to be renewed in the spirit of your mind? What does it mean to put off your old self? I think of it kind of like taking a shower. You know, it's starting to warm up and I like working outside and, and I get really gross and I'm, I'm one of those guys that sweat a lot. And so some of you people can be like, and just go get in bed and, and like, like, how do you do that? Like that is just, I would ask for hands, but I don't want to know who you are who do that. But, but don't you just love that feeling of just, you're covered in dirt and dirty and you take a shower and you get out and drive and you just feel so clean. I mean, that's a kind of a shallow practical uh, example, but Baptism is also a picture of this, right? You're, you're buried in your, your former life is buried and you're raised in a newness of life, clean and cleansed. You put on a new self. Be cleansed in Christ. It's really a, it's a picture of baptism. Um, I lost my connection here, so if you guys are back there with slides, I'm about done. Uh, but I can't do anything here anymore. There we go. We're back. So here's, we're kind of at an important part here in, the, in this passage because what we could do and what a lot of churches do, and I think they really miss it here, is we give you a list of things to do. So here's how you clean yourself up. Here's what God wants from you. Here's what you need to do. And sure, there are some practical things that Paul's telling them to do here, but we know we can't do it on our own. And it would, it would be a disservice of me to give you a list of things to do to get better. That's what we call bootstrap theology, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, trying to get back into right favor with God, trying to do better and try harder. Um, I've heard it called the, the Christian treadmill of performance. You're just walking and you're going and you're not really going anywhere. And again, you think you're nailing it, some of you, and it leads you to be prideful or you can't keep up and it just, you fall into despair and you're, you, want, you don't want to, want to have anything to do with the things of God because you can't keep up. But that's not... What Scripture says for us. Um, sure, there are some practical things that we can do to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, but I like, uh, I like the way D.A. Carson describes this. Uh, he calls it grace-driven effort. He says, we don't drift towards holiness. Well, we're, just, we're all out of whack here. We don't drift towards holiness is what he says. If we just sit there on our own, we're not going to drift towards holiness, towards the things of God. He says it does involve some level, level of effort. It's why Paul says, put on Christ. He talks about running the race. He doesn't say to the, the people he's writing to, just hang out and you'll get better. Just, just sit tight and you'll start to drift towards holiness. The opposite is true. It, 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 it's like exercise. You're not going to get stronger just sitting there, not doing anything. It does involve a level of effort. Matt Chandler calls these weapons of grace, and, and I'm going to borrow these from him. Um, these are, these, this is the grace-driven effort that we have and these weapons of grace that we get to use to help us in this Christian living. The first one is Scripture, right? So we, we, all that we need for life and holiness is found in the pages of Scripture. 1 Timothy 3 uh, says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Everything we need to equip us is in here. These are the very words. The creator of the universe gave us the Bible. I mean, that kind of, it's one of those things that 
we really can't comprehend, but the words of, of God are in Scripture, and they're given for us as a tool, as a gift. And again, you don't have to show me your hands, but how many of you here say, I read the Bible enough? It's not most of us. Use the tools that we have. Use the grace that God's given us through the words of Him in Scripture. Don't underestimate the power that we have. The next weapon we have is the blood of Christ. And I'm going to sit here for just a minute because I really want you to understand how important this is. Jesus' work on the cross cleansed us from all unrighteousness once and for all. There's no re-cleansing needed. And we know that we forget that. Paul always reminds us of that. That's why he constantly is constantly telling us that. What, what does Scott do where sin abounds? Grace much more abounds. It's true. It's the scandal of the gospel. You can't out the grace of God. You can't out the grace of God. It's not a challenge I'm giving you, but you can't do it. So don't try. Paul would say, by no means, right? But you still can't. There, we have this safety net of grace. When we fail, we don't have to run away from the Father in fear. We get to run to the Father without fear or rejection. We don't have to clean ourselves up. Remember the prodigal son story I just mentioned. He didn't clean himself up for the father to welcome him back. He welcomed him with open arms. He was covered in mud and filthy. And he said, you're welcome here. Despite ourselves, we don't have to clean ourselves up to be accepted by God. Paul gets this. This is what he writes in Romans 7. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. This is Paul saying this about himself. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But what does he say after that? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. We are fully accepted by the blood of Christ because of the blood of Christ shed for us, not by our ability to clean ourselves up. And right after Paul wrote that, he wrote Romans 8.1. For those of you who know this, this is probably one of my favorite passages. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Did you hear any conditions in there? There's one, being in Christ Jesus. Outside of that, there are no conditions. And there, there is no condemnation for you. It's not there is no condemnation for those who got it better this week than last week. There's no condemnation for those who didn't yell at your kids on the way in this morning. No. For those in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. You are innocent. The last one, the last weapon, is what I would call the promise of a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In Christ, our old selves have died. Doesn't mean we don't struggle. Doesn't mean that this life is going to be hard and we're going to screw it up a lot. Speak for myself there. But we've been given a new identity. We've been adopted into his family. And we can't lose it. It's anchored in Christ. It's not anchored in us. And he's given us the spirit, the helper, Jesus said it would be better for him to go away so the Spirit could come because he knew we needed the Spirit of Christ in us to dwell in us, to get us through, to help us. And Jesus intercedes for us just as the Spirit helps us. And not only are we new creations in Christ, but a new creation is coming. 
there's a future hope for us that despite our best efforts to screw it up, Jesus is coming back to fix everything we've broken. And then Paul closes this section of Scripture out by reminding us of our identity being created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. We're created in God's likeness to be righteous and holy. Our Christian lives are to be a pursuit of holiness, church. But we aren't meant to do it on our own. We can't. We need, we desperately need the Spirit. We desperately need the weapons of grace in our life. And when we succeed, Paul tells us before, he said, this isn't even your own doing. You succeed at this because God allows us. It's the work of Christ in us so that we can't boast. Even the good gifts, he says in Ephesians 2.10, even the good things we do were created before the beginning of time so that we may walk in them. There's nothing to boast about, church, but the cross of Christ. So let me ask you these few questions as we close out here. If your sin does not trouble you, maybe now this is the time to have some, some reflection. If you know that you're living in sin, but you don't feel troubled by it, um, have you learned Christ, is what Paul would say. Do you know Christ? Have you learned him? Have you heard his voice? Have you responded in faith? In other words, does the spirit of the living God dwell in you? And maybe that's you today, church. If not, I would say respond. Answer him today. And, and there's nothing to do but to repent and believe. And repent is not just saying, I want to quit doing these things. But what it really means is, this has been my God for this up until this point, I'm choosing a new God. No longer am I going to worship the, the things that the Creator made for me. I'm going to worship the Creator. I'm choosing a new God. And then just believe the gospel. Believe that what Jesus did for us is enough, that He lived perfectly. He died in our place, and He rose on the third day, and He's ascended to the right hand of the Father ever interceding for us. That's all you have to do. It's scandalous. That's all you have to do is just believe that. Maybe you're here and you're stuck in sin. Maybe you're stuck in the the muck and the mire, and you need some help, and you don't know where to turn. Um, come, come ask for help. You're not going to get condemnation from us. You're going to get, you're going to get help. You're going to get uh, the good news of the gospel. We're going to point you to Jesus. Uh, Paul already mentioned recovered. That's this Wednesday. It recovers a gathering of people who uh, are either stuck or are on their way through recovered from some sort of addiction. There's people there who'd love to help you, but don't just try this on your own. You can't do it on your own. You need help. For those of us who are in Christ, I would say take hold of those weapons of grace that you've been given. Rest in Christ today. Fall into the safety net of grace as we struggle forward in this life without any fear of condemnation, safe in the unwavering love of the Father because of Christ Jesus' work on our behalf. Let me pray for us.